There's music up here. Am I supposed to sing? Somebody say, Lord forbid. Good morning. We are continuing our study of Romans from faith to freedom, transforming our faith into living lives of freedom before the Lord. And so we continue in chapter 8. We're um, going to go back over again. Last week we looked at God's provision through um, these ten verses in chapter 8. But today, like um, the Word of God is always faithful to do, we want to look more at the application into our daily lives of what God has provided and how might we begin to live in that provision. And so we'll look at part two of this free life that God has provided and um, a couple of questions that may come out of that. So let's read the word of the Lord beginning with 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the spirit, but according to the, I'm sorry, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. In fact, in the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers, sisters, We are debtors not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Father, let's pray. Lord, now open up Your Word. Illuminate that, O Holy Spirit, which You have inspired. May our hearts, O God, be furrowed deeply by the truth of Your Gospel. And may truly, may we apply the faith that You have given us as a gift to Your Word that we might be transformed and leave the bondage of fear behind us to live in the freedom of courageous living in the Gospel. 
Oh Lord, set this church on fire. Set it ablaze with Your Holy Word that we may expand Your kingdom for the sake of Your glory. That we, Lord, like the Apostle Paul has said, are jars of clay carrying within us the very light of the Gospel for the sake of the glory, O God, that You provide. May You be glorified, God, in all that we do, say, and think. And forgive my sins, O Lord, that I might preach Your Word. In Your name we pray. Amen. He is my friend. We've known each other some 30 plus years now. Lived a dream life for the most of his life. Had most anything anybody could want. He had respect, esteem, comfortable life, beautiful family, children that loved and adored. He was honored by many in the church as one of the finest preachers of the Word you might ever hear. Wonderful pastor's heart until the day that he had a moral failing. Can't communicate to you the depth of the condemnation that he felt. How he felt that his life was over. And in many ways, sin had brought death to his life. It had brought death to a marriage. It had brought death to the relationship with children. It had brought death to his career as a minister of the Word. And as he stood before the church councils and the church courts, and they demitted him from the pastorate, he never felt so condemned. is when the church told him that he was no longer able to be a minister of the Word, nor to take the sacraments. That it was the lowest point of feeling the condemnation of the entire world on his shoulders. He'd be the first to tell you he deserved it. He'd be the first to tell you that he did wrong. But he would also be the first to tell you that he had never felt so apart from God and God's people his entire life. As we spoke on the phone in the days following his revelations, I tried to assure him that there is now, therefore, now, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He asked me a question. How can I know that's true now? How can I know that's for me? How can I have assurance regarding how far I have fallen to know that there truly is no condemnation for me? How does this... Assurance maybe set me free from the guilt and the shame that I feel. Maybe none of us in this room have fallen to such a degree. Possibly we have. But certainly there have been areas in many of our lives where we have wondered, can it be true? 
Can it be real that there truly is no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus? Could the reality of that be now? How can I be assured of that? And how can that assurance set me free? Well, in our passages today, we see that God has guaranteed, yes, you can be assured that in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And yes, that assurance can set you free from the guilt and the shame that you feel in life when you realize that Jesus died and was condemned in your stead. Even for the worst of sins, even for the sin of gossip and even for the sin of adultery, even for the sin of stealing and the sin of murder, even for the sin of not honoring God with your first fruits, even for the sin of having no other gods before me, even for the sin of idolatry, even for the sin of not honoring your father and your mother, that Christ has died on the cross on behalf of those who should be condemned in violation of all of the law, that they might be set free from the fear of condemnation to live in the assurance that Christ by His blood and the blood of the covenant has purchased you back from where the enemy would drag you down into the pools and the cesspool of guilt and shame to restore you into right relationship with God and even to the point where you would call Him Abba, Father. Let's look at the guarantee this morning as we revisit verses 1 and 2 again of this amazing 8th chapter. The guarantee is this that we've read. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. First of all, the guarantee, as Paul puts it, is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That the guarantee is not on shifting sand. The guarantee is not something that's made up by mankind. The guarantee doesn't come from what we feel or what we don't feel. The guarantee doesn't come from our own human ways of judging. It doesn't come from our analysis. It doesn't come from the way that we think morally or we don't think morally. The guarantee comes from one place and one place only in Christ Jesus. That the guarantee is exclusive to Christ. And that there can only be no condemnation in Christ. Of course, the inference of that is that all who are apart from Christ are condemned. Remember the words of our Lord, right, in the Gospels, who said that. You are already condemned because you don't believe in Me. But for those who do believe in Christ Jesus, the objective truth that is not subjective to any other wind, any other judgment, any other person, any other entity, any other government, any other political party, any religious denomination is the truth that in Christ there is no condemnation 
that it's exclusive to being in Him. There are no other gods. There are no other ways. There are not many ways unto God to stand justified before Him, but there is only one way to be justified before the throne of heaven, and that is to stand in Christ. It is exclusive because it's emancipating. It's freeing. Paul says that the person that's in Christ understands that they've been set free. They've been set free from condemnation. Not just God's condemnation, but to live. They've been set free to not live under the condemnation of any around them. Don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that we don't listen to our brothers and our sisters in correction. It doesn't mean that there's not discipline in the church. But what it does mean is that we are not cast out. We are not alone. That we have been set free to live in repentance. Too often we as Westerners think that that freedom means almost to the edge of anarchy. That freedom means that we can live and do and anything we please, anything we want. Well, just drive 100 miles an hour down Route 50. See how free you are. It won't be long before you see blue lights. It won't be long before you feel the cuff of steel around your wrist. And it won't be long before you get pre-made meals. You're free to enjoy them. But the idea of freedom to do whatever we want, to do whatever we please, is just not there. It doesn't exist anywhere on this globe. Freedom is a relative thing. Freedom unto what or unto whom? It goes even deep within the Bible, doesn't it? When we remember the children of Israel coming out, being set free from the slavery in Egypt. God didn't come to them and say, I sent you a deliverer so that you may go wander around in the desert for the rest of your life. And you can just go wherever you want to go. Just build whatever cities you want to build. Just do whatever you want to do. I've set you free so that you can just go live a life that you want to go live. Nothing could be further from biblical truth. God set them free from the slavery of Egypt so that He might bring them to His glory in the promised land. So when you and I understand these words, set free, it doesn't mean we're set free to live a life of indulging in itself. It means that we have been set free to indulge the Savior and to live a life unto His glory. Even Jesus Himself would say that if you love Me, you will obey Me. But at the same time, He said, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. What is that tension? Well, the tension is here, Paul is specifically talking about you have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. You've not been set free to live a life of license. You've not been set free to live a life of self-indulgence. You've been set free from not having to die. You have been set free from not having to face the cruelty of the grave's deepest and dark abandonment. 
And you have been set free to not live a life in the chains of addictions and sinfulness. But you have been set free to live a life filled with peace and joy in the pursuit of bringing glory to God. In that life, there is no condemnation because it's emancipating, it's freeing. And here's what's the most freeing part of that. That God has done what the flesh could not do, what the law could not do, weakened by the flesh. How did He do that? He sent His Son. Paul says this. It's it's an extreme statement for the Jewish world to hear. It's an extreme statement for a Jewish man to say, but God has done, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. If you were from a Jewish background, your ears would light up, your face would turn red, smoke would come out both sides, and you would grab the nearest rock to get ready to throw it. Because what Paul was really saying is you can't keep the law. You don't have the ability. You don't have the ability on two levels. Number one level is, is you don't have the holiness within you to be able to do it and to meet the requirements of it. And number two is, the truth of the matter is, you don't have the desire. Evidenced by this, have you ever seen a sign in a yard that says, don't walk on the grass? Have you ever felt compelled to walk on the grass? When I was a kid growing up, I used to do a lot of water skiing, and we had a big bridge that crossed the river, and there was big signs sitting right on the pilings of the bridge. Do not ski between the pilings. Guess where the first place we headed was? Or out on the ocean near the pier, there was a big sign, don't surf near the pier. Guess where the boards went? All of us have within us a latent desire when we see the law, when we see the commandment, to twist it, to disobey it. Even Paul the Apostle told us, didn't he? I didn't know what coveting was till I heard, do not covet. And the first time he heard, do not covet, what did he do? He coveted. You see, there's something within us. And it's the answer to the question, would you have done anything different in the garden that our father Adam had not done? Would you have violated the commandment of God in the garden? And the answer to that is yes. Because the moment that God said, don't touch that tree. Don't eat that fruit. I would have been hungry for that fruit. But that's what Paul says that Christ came and did. In Matthew chapter 19, we read the story where Jesus is talking to the rich ruler, right? And he says, the rich ruler says, listen, I've kept the commandments. What else do I have to do? Jesus says, sell all that you have and follow me. He got to the heart of the matter that the reality was is that the rich young ruler had broken the first commandment. He had a God before God. 
It was his money, his comfort, his life. It provoked the disciples to ask this question. You remember the question, right? Then how can anyone be saved? It's the, a question to the, it's the answer to the question of, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. Many of us have said, well, there must have been a, a wall in East Jerusalem called the eye of the needle and camels had to bend it. I don't think any of that's true. I think what Jesus was just saying was this. It's easier for a rich man, or it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a real needle. The reason I think that is because of the disciples' response. Then who can be saved? I mean, if a rich man could unload his riches, if a rich man could really get his camel down on his knees and really scoot through some kind of hole, it means it's possible by his own works to do so. But what Jesus said was something completely different. It's impossible. Don't you understand? It's impossible. There's only one possibility. Jesus. And God sends His own one possibility in His Son, Jesus, to set you and I free, to emancipate us from sin and death so that we might live lives unto Him and forever be inextricably indwelled in Christ and He in us. That's the guarantee. And that's how the guarantee is assured, because it is in Christ, not in any man, not in any government, not in any ecclesiastical court, but we are secure in Christ and Christ alone. And if I am in Christ, if you are in Christ, then how Paul will end this chapter and we come to that there is nothing that could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We begin to understand the assurance that is ours because it's not based on you. It's not based on me. It's not based on us. It's not based on our parents. It's not based on our bank account. And it's not based on our car. It's not based on our record. It's based on Christ and Christ alone. But I want you to, not just to see that the guaranteed is assured, I want you to also see the resulting truth from this guarantee. Paul goes on in the fourth verse to say, the reason that Christ was came and He was condemned to be sin in the flesh is in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled. Please take note where that fulfillment takes place. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That the fulfillment of that which was required to make you and I stand in innocence before the throne of God is fulfilled in us by Christ. That as we are in Christ, we understand that Christ is in us and the fulfillment that Christ did in His life by walking the pure and sinless life on our behalf by faith is now my record and your record. And the requirements of the law are not just fulfilled somewhere on some record in heaven, but the requirements are fulfilled right there on your heart. 
that you don't have to have a hope that is far away. You don't have to have a hope that is distant and so transcendent you couldn't even begin to grasp the reality if you started today. But the hope is certain and it's truthful and you can grasp it in this life. You can hold on to it right now today in this very moment in your pew where you sit. The law by Christ is fulfilled in you. And that is the result of the guarantee that God gave by sending His Son Jesus to die the death that you and I deserved. You say, well, Pastor, we still die. Yes, our flesh does, and Paul's about to explain that. Our flesh, because of the sinful nature, does die. But the Spirit that was in us that's been revived and born again in Christ Jesus will never die. The death that Jesus died that is different from the death that you and I will die is that Jesus was abandoned in the grave. That Jesus was completely forsaken on the cross. That Jesus knew the true separation in His humanness of what it meant like to go into the dark abyss of death into the fiery torment of hell to pay the wrath that was due you and I so that the prophecies of though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear any evil. Why? Because He is with you. And the words of Jesus that He will never abandon, He will never leave are true even as we pass from this life into eternal life. That we will never know the dark sting of death. We will never know the forsakenness of God. But we will always be accompanied by God in the Spirit all the way to the throne of the Father. It is the result of the guarantee that God gave and the assurance that He has provided the way to stand in no condemnation. The law is fulfilled in you. How? He says further on in in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You, however, let me skip down to verse 9. You, you who believe in Christ, you who are in Christ, us who are the children of God, you, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit. It transforms the way that you and I should see ourselves. It transforms the way we should see each other. It transforms the way that we should see life. We who are in the Spirit... The Spirit, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But how do we know by faith the truth is this? That if you have called upon Him in sincerity with your heart and you have believed in Him as your Lord and your Savior, then the Spirit of God does dwell in you. And you in Him. And that transforms everything, doesn't it? Doesn't business look different now? Doesn't life look different now? Doesn't your relationships change? Don't they change? Don't the way, doesn't the way you see one another underneath this roof transform? Maybe the way you see your children, you see your parents, 
Maybe the way you see your spouse. You see, the incarnation of the Spirit comes in us. It is God who dwells with us. It is the fulfillment of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the Psalms that God would come and He would dwell with His people. It is the fulfillment of every restoration prophecy of the Old Testament that God would come and live with His people. That our hearts would be transformed from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And that the law of God would no longer be written on stones, but the law of God would be written on our hearts. The only possibility for that to happen is it is the result of God's guarantee that in Christ Jesus there is now therefore no condemnation. And you have been renewed and you have been transformed and you have been born again to live a new and a born again life. Are you awake? Don't let us be dull. Don't let us think that these are passing words. Don't let us think that we can walk out those doors and ignore the truth of the Gospel of Christ. We would be subject to the fire of hell. Don't do church any longer. Be the body of Christ. Why? Because you believe without a doubt, you believe without reservation that God dwells in you through the incarnation of the Holy Spirit and that as those who are vessels of the High and the Holy One, you have moved from the ordinary to the extraordinary. That the very power that rose Christ from the grave is the power that God has incarnated in you and I. And that we should be the most powerful people on this planet. We should not live in fear. We should not be living with our hands wringing of what's next, what's new. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Will will there be enough? Will there not be enough? We should start stowing away our nuts because winter's coming. And we should act like little squirrels. Instead of facing and embracing what God has in the future, knowing that our God is with us and our God is leading us, our God will fight for us. Because our God is with us. And our God is in us. And our God has called us to live lives of power. Thanks. Jesus beckons you this morning. Right out of Matthew 11, Come to Me, all you who are tired and weary. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, come to me, but understand you're going to be yoked. Understand you have a purpose. 
And your purpose is to do His purposes. That you no longer are living for self, but you're living for Savior. And that you have your Savior's yoke upon you. And you are busy plowing the field that He has placed you in to plow. And maybe that field's got a lot of rocks. Maybe that field is one big rock. But it doesn't matter. It's not up to you to produce fruit. He will produce the fruit. It's up to you and I to plow. It's up to you and I to be faithful. It's up to you and I to advance the kingdom of God. It's up to you and I to spread the news. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Because there is a condemned world that exists outside of your world. There is a world that is bound for hell outside of your world. There are neighbors right next door to us who are going to die in hell. And we are more passionate about silly, silly things than we are about the reality of the coming kingdom of which we are joint heirs. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too stupid. You're not too smart. Every one of us who has breath has every spiritual gift needed according to the Word of God to advance the kingdom of God. Let me show you the astonishing effect, though, of this guarantee from this resulting truth and the astonishing effect from the grantor, the one who gives the guarantee. Here it is. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live to according to the flesh, you'll die. But if the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all, here it is, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the slavery, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, the result of the guarantee and the truth of the guarantee is this, that God has made you His children. You're not just slaves. You're not oxen. But you're the children of God. What higher dignity could you have in this world? What higher definition could you ever want about who you are? What could ever be more affirming to you in your life than you literally are Yahweh's offspring? That because of what Christ has done for you, Yahweh has said, no more punishment. Yahweh has said, you're mine forever. I've sealed it with the blood of my own Son. And because His blood is now your blood, you are now my children. What higher form of life could you and I ever ask for? What greater reward could there ever be 
Do you suppose that you'll go to heaven and you'll get a bucket of jewels? Maybe ten more square feet in your room than the next person? How silly of us. (coughs) Your reward is the same reward that I have. We are joint heirs with Christ because we are God's children in Christ. I don't know about you, but that's where I find strength to live. That's where I begin to ignore the messages that I'm bombarded with every day that I don't measure up, I don't live up to, the criticisms that I might get, the evaluations from other people that I might receive. It's where I live. I live in the Gospel that tells me no matter what you decide about me, no matter what anybody else decides about me, God has decided I'm His. And because of that, I have strength. And because of that, I have power. And because of that, I have courage. Because of that, I know whatever disease affects my flesh will never touch me. Because I am free from sin, from death. Pastor, how can we appropriate it? How can we move closer to it? I'll give you the acrostic faith. The application is this, faith. What else would it be? The F for faith is faith in Christ. Both Him as the person, His love for you, His his desire for you to be His and His to be yours but also in His work. Not only faith that He is the Son of God and He came for you to love you and to care for you, but the faith in His work that He did really complete the work for the cross. That on the cross He did complete the law. And on the cross He did take the full wrath of God. And that on the cross He received the deluge that was due you and I so that we stand before God at the judgment throne of God not afraid, but in glory. To hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Faith in Jesus. Second, the A, accordance with Christ. For you and I to live in accordance with Christ. Those things that He's called us to do. Those commandments that He's given us. Not only to love God with our heart, our mind, and our strength, but to love love our neighbors as ourselves. To be engaged, to be enthralled, to be set ablaze with the fire of love. Too often we're set ablaze with the fire of criticism. We need to take the criticism and throw it away. If we have something to correct in somebody, let us correct it in love. It's no different than what Jesus taught us to speak the truth in love. Too often we're just concerned with the truth, but I tell you, without love there is no truth. But I'll also tell you without truth, There is no love. That we must have a different way of seeing things. We must live in accordance with the way that Jesus lived. That's what Paul means by we live according to the Spirit. I is identity. From now on, I live in the identity that I've received from Christ as one of God's children. The word Abba literally means daddy. 
the name that was once unspeakable, that you would be stoned if you even mentioned His name. You could even write the name of Yahweh as transformed by Christ's work into the word Dabby. And this is who we call God. It's who Christ tells us to come to God in the, in the spirit of our daddy. Not a big grandfather in the skies. Not someone who's lost his holiness. But someone who cares for us truly the way that we've dreamed a dad, a father, would always care for his children. That we live in the truth. And the truth is Christ. That our lives are no longer defined by falsehoods. Our lives are no longer defined by any other means except the truth that is Christ. And that we have faith that we are heirs. We are joint heirs with Christ. That that is our reality that we live our life in. And this is what I think it means for us to apply faith to everyday life. When we do this, when we apply this kind of faith, Worry begins to subside. Self-esteem begins to rise a little bit. Security of our future begins to explode. And joy in living not only consumes us, but it is the spark that we ignite every fire in the lives that we come in touch with. You see, this is the free life of having no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It is the free life that is offered you and I as disciples of Jesus. It is the free life of knowing that the work of Christ has set you free to do His bidding for His glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, come now into our hearts. Maybe our hearts need to be broken, O oh God, that Your Word would go deeper still. O oh Lord, may it be like the hot coals on the lips of Isaiah in the way that Your Word burns into our flesh. May the conviction of we have lived unclean be transformed into living in the cleanliness of Christ. What a beautiful declaration, O God, that there is now therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. What an assurance we have that we are Your sons and Your daughters by the way that the Spirit provokes us to reach our arms up and cry out, Daddy, Father, May we be new and different, O God, for Your sake and for Your glory. Set us ablaze. Amen.